Section 3. Wherein it is considered how, on the supposition of God's making the forementioned things his last end, he manifests a supreme and ultimate regard to himself in all his works. In the last section I observe some things which are actually the consequence of the creation of the world, which seem absolutely valuable in themselves, and so worthy to be made God's last end in his work. I now proceed to inquire, how God's making such things as these his last end, is consistent with his making himself his last end, or his manifesting an ultimate respect to himself in his acts and works. Because it is agreeable to the dictates of reason, that in all his proceedings he should set himself highest. Therefore, I would endeavor to show, how his infinite love to and delight in himself, will naturally cause him to value and delight in these things or rather, how a value to these things is implied in his value of that infinite fullness of good that is in himself. Now, with regard to the first of the particulars mentioned above, God's regard to the exercise of those attributes of his nature, in their proper operations and effects, which consist in a sufficiency for these operations, it is not hard to conceive that God's regard to himself, and value for his own perfections, should cause him to value these exercises and expressions of his perfections. Inasmuch as their excellency consists in their relation to use, exercise, and operation, God's love to himself, and his own attributes, will therefore make him delight in that which is the use, and, and operation of these attributes. If one highly esteem and delight in the virtues of a friend, as wisdom, justice, etc., that have relation to action, this will make him delight in the exercise and genuine effects of these virtues. So if God both esteem and delight in his own perfections and virtues, he cannot but value and delight in the expressions and genuine effects of them. So that in delighting in the expressions of his perfections, he manifests a delight in himself. And in making these expressions of his own perfections his end, he makes himself his end. And with respect to the second and third particulars, the matter is no less plain. For he that loves any being, and has a disposition highly to prize and greatly to delight in his virtues and perfections, must from the same disposition be well pleased to have his excellencies known, acknowledged, esteemed, and prized by others. He that loves anything, naturally loves the approbation of that thing, and is opposite to the disapprobation of it. Thus it is when one loves the virtues of a friend. And thus it will necessarily be, if a being loves himself and highly prizes his own excellencies. And thus it is fit it should be, if it be fit he should thus love himself, and prize his own valuable qualities. That is, it is fit that he should take delight in his own excellencies being seen, acknowledged, esteemed, and delighted in. This is implied in a love to himself and his own perfections. And in making this his end, he makes himself his end. And with respect to the fourth and last particular, namely, God's being disposed to an abundant communication, and glorious emanation, of that infinite fullness of good which he possesses, as of his own knowledge, excellency and happiness, in the manner he does. If we thoroughly consider the matter, it will appear, that herein also God makes himself his end, in such a sense, as plainly to manifest and testify a supreme and ultimate regard to himself. Merely in this disposition to cause an emanation of his glory and fullness, which is prior to the existence of any other being, and is to be considered as the inciting cause of giving existence to other beings, God cannot so properly be said to make the creature his end, as himself. For the creature is not as yet considered as existing. 
this disposition or desire in God, must be prior to the existence of the creature, even in foresight. For it is a disposition that is the original ground even of the future, intended, and foreseen existence of the creature. God's benevolence, as it respects the creature, may be taken either in a larger or stricter sense. In a larger sense, it may signify nothing diverse from that good disposition in his nature to communicate of his own fullness in general, as his knowledge, his holiness, and happiness, and to give creatures existence in order to it. This may be called benevolence, or love, because it is the same good disposition that is exercised in love. It is the very fountain from whence love originally proceeds, when taken in the most proper sense and it has the same general tendency and effect in the creature's well-being. But yet this cannot have any particular present or future created existence for its object. Because it is prior to any such object, and the very source of the futuration of its existence, nor is it really diverse from God's love to himself, as will more clearly appear afterwards. But God's love may be taken more strictly, for this general disposition to communicate good as directed to particular objects. Love, in the most strict and proper sense, presupposes the existence of the object beloved, at least in idea and expectation, and represented to the mind as future. God did not love angels in the strictest sense, but in consequence of his intending to create them, and so having an idea of future existing angels. Therefore his love to them was not properly what excited him to intend to create them. Love or benevolence, strictly taken, presupposes an existing object, as much as pity a miserable suffering object. This propensity in God to diffuse himself, may be considered as a propensity to himself diffused, or to his own glory existing in its emanation, a respect to himself, or an infinite propensity to and delight in his own glory is that which causes him to incline to its being abundantly diffused, and to delight in the emanation of it. Thus, that nature in a tree, by which it puts forth buds, shoots out branches, and brings forth leaves and fruit, is a disposition that terminates in its own complete self. And so the disposition in the sun to shine, or abundantly to diffuse its fullness, warmth, and brightness, is only a tendency to its own most glorious and complete state. So God looks on the communication of himself, and the emanation of his infinite glory, to belong to the fullness and completeness of himself as though he were not in his most glorious state without it. Thus the Church of Christ, toward whom and in whom are the emanations of his glory, and the communication of his fullness, is called the fullness of Christ. As though he were not in his complete state without her. Like Adam without Eve. And the Church is called the glory of Christ, as the woman is the glory of the man. 1 Corinthians 11 7. Isaiah 46 13. I will place salvation in Zion for Israel my glory. Indeed, after the creatures are intended to be created, God may be conceived of as being moved by benevolence to them, in the strictest sense, and his dealings with them. His exercising his goodness, and gratifying his benevolence to them in particular, may be the spring of all God's proceedings through the universe. As being now the determined way of gratifying his general inclination to diffuse himself. Here God acting for himself, or making himself his last end, and his acting for their sake, are not to be set in opposition. They are rather to be considered as coinciding one with the other, and implied one in the other. But yet God is to be considered as first and original in his regard, 
and the creature is the object of God's regard, consequently, and by implication, as being as it were comprehended in God. As it shall be more particularly observed presently. But how God's value for, and delight in, the emanations of his fullness in the work of creation, argues his delight in the infinite fullness of good in himself, and the supreme regard he has for himself. And that in making these emanations, he ultimately makes himself his end in creation. Will more clearly appear by considering more particularly the nature and circumstances of these communications of God's fullness. One part of that divine fullness which is communicated, is the divine knowledge. That communicated knowledge, which must be supposed to pertain to God's last end in creating the world, is the creature's knowledge of him. For this is the end of all other knowledge. And even the faculty of understanding would be vain without it. And this knowledge is most properly a communication of God's infinite knowledge, which primarily consists in the knowledge of himself. God, in making this his end, makes himself his end. This knowledge in the creature, is but a conformity to God. It is the image of God's own knowledge of himself. It is a participation of the same. Though infinitely less in degree as particular beams of the sun communicated are the light and glory of the sun itself, in part. Besides, God's glory is the object of this knowledge, or the thing known. So that God is glorified in it, as hereby his excellency is seen. As therefore God values himself, as he delights in his own knowledge, he must delight in everything of that nature as he delights in his own light, he must delight in every beam of that light. And as he highly values his own excellency, he must be well pleased in having it manifested, and so glorified. Another emanation of divine fullness, is the communication of virtue and holiness to the creature this is a communication of God's holiness. So that hereby the creature partakes of God's own moral excellency. Which is properly the beauty of the divine nature. And as God delights in his own beauty, he must necessarily delight in the creature's holiness. Which is a conformity to and participation of it, as truly as a brightness of a jewel, held in the sun's beams is a participation or derivation of the sun's brightness, though immensely less in degree. And then it must be considered wherein this holiness in the creature consists, namely, in love, which is the comprehension of all true virtue. And primarily in love to God, which is exercised in the high esteem of God, admiration of his perfections, complacency in them, and praise of them. All which things are nothing else but the heart exalting, magnifying, or glorifying God which, as I showed before, God necessarily approves of, and is pleased with, as he loves himself, and values the glory of his own nature. Another part of God's fullness which he communicates, is his happiness. This happiness consists in enjoying and rejoicing in himself. And so does also the creature's happiness. It is a participation of what is in God. And God and his glory are the objective ground of it. The happiness of the creature consists in rejoicing in God, by which also God is magnified and exalted. Joy, or the exalting of the heart in God's glory, is one thing that belongs to praise. So that God is all in all, with respect to each part of that communication of the divine fullness which is made to the creature. What is communicated is divine, or something of God. And each communication is of that nature, that the creature to whom it is made, is thereby conformed to God, and united to him and that in proportion as the communication is greater or less. 
and the communication itself is no other, in the very nature of it, than that wherein the very honor, exaltation, and praise of God consists. And it is farther to be considered, that what God aimed at in the creation of the world, as the end which he had ultimately in view, was that communication of himself which he intended through all eternity. And if we attend to the nature and circumstances of this eternal emanation of divine good, it will more clearly show how, in making this his end, God testifies a supreme respect to himself, and makes himself his end. There are many reasons to think that what God has in view, in an increasing communication of himself through eternity, is an increasing knowledge of God, love to him, and joy in him. And it is to be considered, that the more those divine communications increase in the creature, the more it becomes one with God for so much the more is it united to God in love, the heart is drawn nearer and nearer to God, and the union with him becomes more firm and close and, at the same time, the creature becomes more and more conformed to God. The image is more and more perfect, and so the good that is in the creature comes forever nearer and nearer to an identity with that which is in God. In the view therefore of God, who has a comprehensive prospect of the increasing union and conformity through eternity, it must be an infinitely strict and perfect nearness, conformity, and oneness. For it will forever come nearer and nearer to that strictness and perfection of union which there is between the Father and the Son. So that in the eyes of God, who perfectly sees the whole of it, in its infinite progress and increase, it must come to an eminent fulfillment of Christ's request, in John 17 21, 23. That they all may be one, as thou Father art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us. I in them and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one. In this view, those elect creatures, which must be looked upon as the end of all the rest of the creation, considered with respect to the whole of their eternal duration, and as such made God's end, must be viewed as being, as it were, one with God. They were respected as brought home to Him, united with Him, centering most perfectly, as it were swallowed up in Him so that His respect to them finally coincides, and becomes one and the same, with respect to Himself. The interest of the creature is, as it were, God's own interest, in proportion to the degree of their relation and union to God. Thus the interest of a man's family is looked upon as the same with his own interest. Because of the relation they stand unto him, his propriety in them, and their strict union with him. But God's elect creatures, with respect to their eternal duration, are infinitely dearer to God, than a man's family is to him. What has been said shows, that as all things are from God, as their first cause and fountain. So all things tend to him, and in their progress come nearer and nearer to him through all eternity which argues, that he who is their first cause is their last end. Stillwater's Revival Books is now located at PuritanDownloads.com. It's your worldwide online Reformation home for the very best in free and discounted classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, MP3s, and videos. For much more information on the Puritans and Reformers, including the best free and discounted classic and contemporary books, MP3s, digital downloads, and videos, please visit Stillwater's Revival Books at PuritanDownloads.com. Stillwater's Revival Books also publishes the Puritan Hard Drive, the most powerful and practical Christian study tool ever produced. All thanks and glory be to the mercy, grace, and love of the Lord Jesus Christ for this remarkable and wonderful new Christian study tool. 
The Puritan hard drive contains over 12,500 of the best Reformation books, MP3s, and videos ever gathered onto one portable Christian study tool. An extraordinary collection of Puritan, Protestant, Calvinistic, Presbyterian, Covenanter, and Reformed Baptist resources. It's fully upgradable and it's small enough to fit in your pocket. The Puritan hard drive combines an embedded database containing many millions of records with the most amazing and extraordinary custom Christian search and research software ever created. The Puritan hard drive has been produced to assist you in the fascinating and exhilarating spiritual, intellectual, familial, ecclesiastical, and societal adventure that is living the Christian life. It has been specifically designed so that you might more faithfully know, serve, and love the Lord Jesus Christ, as well as to help you to do all you can to bring glory to His great name. If you want to love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, then the Puritan hard drive is for you. Visit PuritanDownloads.com today for much more information on the Puritan hard drive and to take advantage of all the free and discounted Reformation and Puritan books, MP3s, and videos that we offer at Stillwater's Revival Books.